for Friday, December 3rd. It's the early word from the WNYC Newsroom. I'm Mark Garber in for Isaac Davey Aronson with a look at this morning's top news, the day ahead, and reporting highlights from the WNYC News team. Coming up, Charlie Rangel gets censured. And WNYC Cindy Rodriguez tells us about a new report that many New Yorkers who commit nonviolent crimes and can't afford bail end up in Rikers Island with much more violent offenders. We start with this morning's top headlines just ahead. The Early Word is a production of WNYC Radio. You can support this podcast by making a donation at WNYC.org, where you can also get the latest updates on this morning's headlines on the news page. The House has resolved that Representative Charles Rangel of New York be censured, that Representative Charles B. Rangel forthwith present himself in the well of the House for the pronouncement of censure. And with those words from a somber House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi last evening, New York Congressman Charles Rangel received the harshest punishment short of expulsion from his colleagues. The House voted overwhelmingly 333 to 79 to censure the veteran Democrat from Harlem for ethics violations, including financial misconduct. Throughout the proceedings, Rangel was apologetic and defiant. He met with reporters after the censure and reiterated his belief that his actions were not as severe as others who were censured. I did not curse out the speaker. I have not tried to have sex with minors. I did not steal any money. I never, I tried to help uh, City College. One of Rangel's violations was for using his office's letterhead to solicit donations for a CUNY building to be named after him. Colleagues who supported Rangel tried to make a case before the censure vote that he deserved the lesser punishment of a reprimand. One of them was Long Island Republican Peter King. Mr. Speaker, I have found no cases where charges similar to or analogous to those against Congressman Rangel resulted in censure. Supporters also questioned whether politics were driving the move to censure Rangel even though his own party controls the House. The 80-year-old lawmaker said ultimately he will be judged by his contributions to the country, not by the House. The Takeaways Washington correspondent Todd Zwillig spoke with Rangel after his censure. He told me that uh, even though he felt censure was unfair, he said, "I'm, I'm just glad that the whole episode is over. It was only the 23rd time in the nation's history that a House member received the most severe punishment short of expulsion. Besides the embarrassment, censure carries... No practical effect and ends, ends the more than two-year ordeal for the congressman who was re-elected to a 21st term last month with more than 80% of the vote. In other news this morning, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has found a law firm to fight a $271 million charge from the federal government for work on a defunct tunnel project. WNYC's Jim O'Grady has more. Governor Christie is authorizing New Jersey Transit to hire the D.C. law firm Patton Boggs. A spokesman for the governor says the firm will charge $485 an hour, a rate the firm calls a deep discount. New Jersey Transit oversaw construction of the ARC rail tunnel project and could ratify a contract with the firm at its meeting next Thursday. Christie canceled the project in October, citing the potential for cost overruns. The Federal Transportation Department says payment on the bill for initial tunnel work is due December 24th. Christie's office says the agency hasn't demanded repayment for projects elsewhere that were stopped. But a spokeswoman for the U.S. Department of Transportation says its contract with New Jersey requires the state to return the money. For WNYC News, I'm Jim O'Grady. In Washington, the House is expected to vote today on the DREAM Act. 
The bill would allow high school graduates whose parents brought them here illegally to become legal by going to college or joining the military. And as WNYC's Marianne McCune reports, local advocates are trying madly to rally support. There are emails from the New York Civil Liberties Union, flyers from Make the Road New York, rallies and press conferences, all urging people to call their legislators or lawmakers who are on the fence. Make the Road's Natalia Aristizabal says she has about 30 young people participating daily in a national phone banking campaign, though she admits other states are putting New York to shame. We need to step it up because California is kicking our butt. Critics of the bill are also talking to everyone they can. Twitter is a flutter with warnings about the damage they say the bill will inflict, encouraging illegal immigration, taking jobs from Americans. But the Secretary of Homeland Security says this measure will help her agency focus on deporting dangerous criminals by taking out of the pool what she calls the least culpable of illegal immigrants, those who came here as children. For WNYC, I'm Marianne McCune. New York's Senate has been called back to consider a rescue plan next week for the financially troubled New York City Off-Track Betting Corporation, which still plans to cease operations at the close of business today. Senate Democratic Leader John Sampson says it will require bipartisan support next Tuesday to pass the rescue and reorganization plan already approved by the Assembly. NYCOTB's board voted Wednesday to shut down its many parlors by today and lay off about 800 workers. A Patterson administration spokeswoman says OTB has no choice but to proceed with the shutdown since there don't appear to be enough Senate votes. Last month's transformer explosion at Indian Point Nuclear Power Plant led to an oil spill in the Hudson River. The plant's owner, Entergy, filed a report about the bill, the spill rather, with state regulators. Philip Musigas of the environmental watchdog group Riverkeeper says the spill raises several questions. We're concerned because we think this was probably preventable. We think any time oil spills into a waterway, that's a major concern to us. And also the fact that Energy didn't disclose this to the public. A spokesman for Energy says the company promptly notified the appropriate agencies about the spill and that there was no consequence for the environment. Riverkeeper is calling for an independent investigation into the matter. The group says a few thousand gallons may have spilled into the Hudson, causing oil slicks. Energy says it was 50 to 100 gallons. Looking to what's ahead today, the 18 commissioners of the Presidential Deficit Commission vote on the panel's plan for cutting and controlling the nation's debt burden with opposition mounting. The Senate could begin debating and voting on extending Bush-era tax cuts. The Senate Armed Services Committee continues its hearings on repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Key economic reports include November employment and October factory orders due out today. In New York, National Jobs for All Coalition and supporters hold vigils for jobs to mark release of the Bureau of Labor Statistics unemployment figures outside Senator Charles Schumer's office on 3rd Avenue. Lieutenant Governor Richard Ravitch and former Mayor Ed Koch participate in Albany 2011, what needs to be done for them this morning. And today is International Day of Persons with Disabilities. A new report finds that while each year tens of thousands of people arrested for minor offenses are released pending a trial or some of their outcome, a substantial number that can't afford to pay bail end up in Rikers Island for things like shoplifting, smoking marijuana, or getting in fights. WNYC Cindy Rodriguez reports. The report by Human Rights Watch was based on 117,000 non-felony cases in New York City in 2008. In about three out of four of those cases, defendants were released on their own recognizance. But for just over 19,000 people, bail was set at $1,000 or less, and most of those defendants were unable to pay. Jamie Fellner is senior counsel for Human Rights Watch and authored the report. Now, this may seem like a low amount of money, 
And it may be the judges who set the bail think it's a low amount. But in fact, it's too much for most of the people who are in court, and most of them cannot post bail at arraignment. According to the report, the average length of stay at Rikers was 16 days. Fellner says defendants often end up pleading guilty early on in order to get out of jail. Defense attorneys agree. Robin Steinberg is the director of the Bronx Defenders, a group of criminal defense attorneys that serves the South Bronx. She says when bail is set too high, pleading guilty is a foregone conclusion. The single most important factor about how a case is going to get resolved in the criminal justice system is whether your client stays in jail on bail or they're out of jail and can fight it from outside. She says recently another nonprofit agreed to post bail for 131 clients charged with misdemeanors, and in over half of those cases, the charges were dismissed. To ensure that bails are set appropriately, Human Rights Watch recommends releasing people and then monitoring them with phone calls or ankle bracelets. It also recommends defense attorneys work harder to prove their clients' financial status. Judge Melissa Jackson, the supervising judge of New York City, says income is one of many things to consider when setting bail, but she contends that in non-felony cases, if bail is being set, there must be other issues. Yes, you look at that, but I also really want to know, has this person a criminal record? And if he does or she does, has she not appeared in court on many occasions? Does she have any open warrants, which happens also? And it doesn't seem to me that those cases in which bail has been set have been analyzed enough to try to really understand where the judge was coming from. According to the report, 70 percent of the offenses did not involve violence or weapons. And while Fellner's primary complaint is that the system is unfair, she also contends it's wasting valuable resources. If all of those people had not been sent into pretrial detention, the city would have saved $42 million. The Department of Corrections says last fiscal year, more than 95,000 people cycled through Rikers Island. For WNYC, I'm Cindy Rodriguez. Thank you, Cindy. There is just now time for the Gig Alert, our look at what is happening on the music scene tonight. The epic soundscapes of the Toronto Tria Ostra are brought to you by the band's singer and principal songwriter Katie Stelmanis. She grew up with an obsession for Puccini, Debussy, Mozart, and Bach, and with sights on becoming a professional opera singer. Ostra performs tomorrow night at the Glasslands Gallery in Williamsburg. You can download this track, The Beat and the Pulse, on our culture page. Just click on culture at wnyc.org. And you can learn more about all the stories you've heard here, download more podcasts, and go in-depth with our reporters on the news blog. It's all at our website, wnyc.org. You can hear us there 24 hours a day as well as on the air at 93.9 FM and AM820. From the WNYC Newsroom, I'm Mark Garber in for Isaac Davey Aronson. Have a great day.